the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week, and I trust that you had a great, great day at church yesterday. I was talking to the producer in the studio at KSLR, and she was talking about a, a great message yesterday from, from her pastor. I pray that you all heard whatever it is that God was wanting to say to you, and I pray that he got to use you to accomplish his will um, for the people around you. We were crowded yesterday. It was a great day. Maybe it was just so hot there was nothing that uh, people had to do, but they came to church. It was really, really good day. It's also been really, really loud around here today uh, because our Calvary Kids Bible School, that's our version of VBS, uh, started um, today. It's called, the theme is God's Game Plan. We had more kids here than you can possibly imagine that a building our size could hold. But it sure sounded like they were all having a great time. And it would be, I would be grateful if you would keep those kids in your prayers. Uh, I love Friday here on Vacation Bible School Week because there's always a bunch of kids that um, the Lord has dealt with. And, and, you know, we know they're kids and we don't have any false expectations. But you can tell when God's really touched some of these kids hard and that's why we do it. So I would appreciate your prayers. This is uh, the Word to Stand Up for Life. It's a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. If you have a question or something going on in your life, all you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. You can send them in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Ladies, because it's Monday, we have our... Sweet Summer Devotion Series continues tonight. Tonight, Vanessa Marvel will be sharing her heart. I've known Vanessa for most of our 23 years here and watched her change in ways that nobody would have thought possible uh, when when I first met her. But it's an amazing thing that the Lord has done. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch it at calvarysa.com. Remember, we have our men's studies, our junior high studies, and our uh, high school age student studies at the same time, so you can bring the whole family. And uh, if you have kids younger than junior high, we have child care for them. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. One of the things I wanted to do before we get into some of the new questions that have been sent in is uh, I wanted to address a question I, I didn't mention a um, couple of things when Brian called sort of toward the end of the program on Friday. So, Brian, I hope you're listening. Uh, your question was about the Great Tribulation and the sequence of events, um, uh, what would happen to the Christians and those kinds of things. And I, I think I took enough time and answered it. But one of the things that we didn't get to 
was um, the plight of the Jews. Now, one of the things that we know from Daniel chapter 9 is that the Jews are going to respond to what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. That's when the Antichrist um, demands to be worshipped. He'll set himself up in the Holy of Holies um, in some fashion or form, a statue of him, and demand to be worshipped. And, of course, the Jews won't do that. And so they're going to run away. They're going to be persecuted by the Antichrist. But they're going to flee uh, to the rock city of Petra in what is modern-day Jordan. It is a natural place um, where anybody that would go in is safe. Uh, there's one way in, one way out. You can defend uh, against a big army with a very few people simply because um, the, the entrance to where they will be is um, very narrow. Um, and they will be preserved there through the last half of the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. There's a great picture of this, Brian, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel's friends, are in the fiery furnace. Jesus is in the furnace with them, and he's walking around, and he keeps them safe and secure. But we notice that Daniel, the beloved, Daniel's nowhere to be found. Well, Daniel's a picture of the church having been raptured out of the judgment or out of the Great Tribulation. And make no mistake, the Great Tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Um, but um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, are a picture of the Jews being preserved through the Great Tribulation. At the end of the Great Tribulation, uh, one-third of the Jews who are alive in Jerusalem at the time are going to look upon Jesus. This is from the prophet Zechariah. And they're going to look at him and they're going to, where did you get those scars in your hands? And he's going to say, I got them in the, in the house of my friends. And they're going to repent. And they're going to be a great Jewish revival as well. Your question was about revival in the Great Tribulation. There's going to be the greatest revival in the history of our world. Um, but Jews are going to be latecomers to the party. So I hope that really fills in a couple of the gaps we didn't have time to deal with the other day, Brian. I appreciate the thoughtfulness of your question. Here is our first question today. I wanted to get to this one because it came in um, last week as well. Um, I can't find it. Hold on. There it is. From Roll Abbott's from Richard. Uh, and he says, how many other Calvary Chapel churches are there in San Antonio other than your location? Uh, Richard, in the greater San Antonio area, now I'm including um, New Braunfels and San Marcos as well. So in the greater San Antonio area, there's eight. And um, um, we're all affiliated. We're all connected um, here in San Antonio. Of course, we're in the northeast part of town. Uh, Calvary Chapel of North San Antonio is is sort of just inside the 410 Loop, um, not too far from the airport around Vance Jackson. Um, Calvary Chapel Solid Rock is in the north side of town uh, over off of 281. Uh, the pastor there is a, is a man who's got a radio program on this radio station, uh, Troy Neely. He was my worship a pastor for 10 years here, and we sent him out to start a church. Sort of on the northwest side, there's a church called Grace Calvary Chapel. Uh, the pastor there, Joe Marcus, um, I, I say this, I embarrass him when I say it, but uh, he happens to be one of the nicest people in the history of the world. He's just really, really a nice man. Uh, on the south side is a church that we planted. Uh, the pastor there is um, uh, Joel Ortega. Um, and then we have the east side. That is another church that we planted here from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, and the pastor there is Antoine Farrell. Uh, and Antoine is a nut. He's an absolute nut. Loves God with all of his heart. And I really, really enjoy him. The, um, the uh, New Brunfels is called Riverview Calvary Chapel. Uh, and that is a church also that we planted. Uh, the pastor there is another good friend, a guy who got saved here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, his name is Edward Hernandez and really a really good Bible teacher and an evangelist. So, Richard, I hope that answers your question. There is probably, and you didn't ask this, but uh, there's probably uh, 1,500 Calvary Chapels 
um, throughout the world, um, a thousand or so of them, uh, maybe a few more than that here in the United States, and then they're spread all over the world. And we are loosely affiliated with one another. It's not a denomination. Uh, there's nobody um, watching what we do, or we're not watching what other people do. But uh, we are affiliated um, in fellowship. So I hope, uh, Richard, that answers your question. Here is our next question. This one is from our email inbox from Nacho. He says, yesterday I encountered a Christian who claims that teaching the Trinity is blasphemy. She said that baptizing has to be in Jesus' name only, that we should be doing things in Jesus' name only. What is that all about? She was pretty heated about the topic, and it was hard to get a word in edgewise. I really didn't know what to say to her after a report, except um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus told us to pray, Our Father. That's in his model of prayer. Not sure, that's just one of the places. Um, I'm very familiar with the doctrine of oneness. Um, um, the, the nickname is Jesus Only Churches. And they are people who claim that God is one. So by definition, Jesus is God. That means Jesus is also the Father. And Jesus is also the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's simply not true. In fact, that's a heretical view of the scriptures. And um, if your view of God is heretical, then you don't belong to him. This is more than just semantics. This is a very, very serious issue. And for somebody to say that Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Holy Spirit is to deny the deity of the Father in heaven as well as to deny the deity of the Holy Spirit. We're told repeatedly through Scripture that the Father is God, that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are all, uh, they all share the same attributes and characteristics. Uh, they're not one-third God, one-third God, one-third God. They're all God. Uh, that's why Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father. And um, he's not saying, say to me. He would have done that if that was the case. There's also indications in, in Scripture where Jesus talks to his Father repeatedly throughout the Gospels. He's not talking to himself. And when Jesus says, I'm going to send another me, um, and, and that's all one has to do is look at the construction of the sentence in the original Greek. And he's saying, I'm going to send another one just like me, but he's going to be different from me, and he will be in you. And, of course, we know that Jesus did that. So this is a, um, uh, an heretical doctrine, Nacho. Um, these people are typically very legalistic. Um, they are usually very, very um, tend to swinging toward Pentecostal. I was going to say charismatic, but it's actually more than that. Um, and arrogant. They've got it figured out, and for 2,000 years, everybody else has been wrong. Um, but it's simply not the case. Uh, it's always better never to argue with people if they don't want their mind to be changed by the facts or by what the Bible says. It's always better just to wish them well, let them know that you're going to be praying for them, and send them on their way rather than get involved. They do get angry about it. You know, um, I've been asked that question myself, and what name do you baptize? I always know what's coming next, and I, I always answer it. I baptize uh, here at Calvary Chapel the way Jesus told us to do it. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that should settle the issue once and for all, but it rarely does. So, Nacho, when you encounter those people, pray for them, but don't get caught up in their silly arguments. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have the phone popping today. This is from our email inbox. This one is from Kirby. Yesterday in your teaching in Luke chapter 4, verse 39, it says, So Jesus bent over her and rebuked the figure, fever, and it left her. You taught that the word rebuke was used in the same way Jesus rebuked the demons out of people. Could that mean that the disease is sentient or could it be controlled by demons? Um, I think your, your use, Kirby, of sentient is wrong. Sentient means to feel something 
uh, or to experience or perceive something. Um, I, I think I know what you're saying. Jesus used the same word that he earlier rebuked a demon to rebuke the fever in Peter's mother-in-law. Now, that doesn't mean that its origin was demonic. Um, as Christians, now, Peter's mother-in-law, at the time she had the fever, she was not what we would call a Christian. That comes much later in the book of Acts. Um, she knew nothing about being born again. She knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but at this point in Jesus' ministry, neither did Peter, James, John, or any of the other disciples. So um, um, Jesus was just demonstrating his complete control, not only over the spirit world by rebuking the demons, but also over the fever that she had. She was very sick. The Greek word magus is used. It was a very, very common illness, but she it was a very, very high fever, and people often died from it in the ancient world. Um, Jesus simply forbid it to have its way. One of the things that I mentioned in the Bible study yesterday in Luke chapter 4 was that um, it says when the fever was gone, she got up at once immediately and began to serve. That's very important because that's exactly what we're supposed to do with the strength that God gives us. So Christians cannot be demon-possessed. We know that, but it's also true that those of us who are Christians, um, the devil can't harm us physically unless Jesus gives him permission. That's simply not going to happen for normal people like us. It happened with Job. It happened with the Apostle Paul. But but we give the devil too much credit sometimes. He, he can't make us sick. I believe personally, Kirby, that he has the power, and he's a powerful, powerful angel. Uh, in fact, along with Michael, the archangel, the most powerful. And I believe that he can, in our minds, create or recreate pain. It's happened to me before. Um, but But physically, he can't harm us. And if you ever get that situation where your illness is caused by a demon, then usually that illness can be rebuked. It doesn't happen often. Uh, it's happened to me one time uh, where I instantly I was going to, to a harvest crusade. I was going to serve. I was excited about it. And uh, I got the worst migraine I've had ever. And I just decided I'm going to serve you anyway, Lord. So you have to give me strength. I'm going. And as soon as I did that, that it went completely away. So I, I just think there's sometimes the devil attacks that way. So Kirby, that's a good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to uh, Nigel calling from San Antonio, Texas on line one. Nigel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. I, uh, my I just hopped in. I just hopped in my car and I uh, was over, overhearing the. Uh, the answer, I, well, I wasn't sure what the question was in regards to um, to the uh, baptizing in the name of Jesus, and, and I'm not sure if that's what it was about. I heard the doctrine yes. of oneness, and uh, yes. you had mentioned at the end of the answer that you baptize the way Jesus tells us to, uh, to baptize people uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And my aunt, who is a Pentecostal, who I have had many discussions over this topic with, brought up a very good point to me not too long ago. She said, when Jesus says to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, why do we repeat those words? Because we know that God's name is Yahweh. We know that God's name is Jesus Christ. We know that God's name is Counselor. And so why don't we baptize in the name of Yahweh uh, or Adonai, uh, uh, Yeshua, and uh, Comforter? You know, why, don't, why, do we, why do we just repeat the literal words, you know, that, that Jesus says, instead of doing what he's saying to do, baptizing them in the name of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, Nigel, there's, there's a, a real disconnect in our current culture uh, between um, what the name of means as opposed to what it meant to pray or to do something in the name of of, of Jesus or in the name of somebody uh, in the culture that Jesus lived in. Um, to, to baptize in the name of somebody would be, uh, would be understood in Jesus' culture. Uh, to, to, you're, you're baptizing, immersing somebody 
uh, in the character and the nature in the wholeness of that person. Um, not it's not the words we, we we've sort of taken the name of Jesus. You know, we end all of our prayers, for example, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Jesus said, up to now, you've asked nothing in my name, but now you can ask the father in my name. Um, but it doesn't just mean in the name of Jesus. It means to 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 be praying uh, in his will, in his character, in his holiness, in his in his righteousness, those kinds of, of things. Jews would have understood that we didn't. Now, relative to why do we not use Yahweh? And by the way, we don't know what what Jesus's name was. Yahweh uh, is is just sort of uh, the consonant strung together without the vowels because the ancient Jewish scribes would never write the name, the full name down. So we come up with Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, um, Jesus is his name. That's the way the English language translates uh, Yeshua. Um, so we use Jesus. Now to follow the instructions, Nigel, of Jesus is pretty safe ground. So when he says to go out and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when you're baptizing a brand new believer, they're gonna, not going to know what you mean when you say, I baptize you in the name of the Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. Um, we're, we're trying to show people the path to God, and the path to God is Jesus. Jesus revealed the Father. So I think sometimes we get too caught up in in the name. I think sometimes we want to get a little bit too Jewish, those of us who aren't at all Jewish uh, by heritage. Um, it's just easier to say, Jesus, this is what you said to do, and we do it. Now, we can go to Acts chapter 2 when Peter says, baptizing them in, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not only in the name of Jesus, but, but, but Jesus is the fullness of God. And Peter meant exactly the same thing. So there wasn't any distinction between uh, what Jesus was saying, no difference between what Jesus was saying and what Peter was saying. And usually the oneness Pentecostals, um, they get it wrong because they, they don't really understand the hermeneutics of Bible study. And that's just something that they're held on to. So uh, does that make sense to you, Nigel? Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got just about uh, three and a half minutes left in this half of the program. Let me just do a little bit more on that because it's really important. You know, I've been on a kick for years telling people, rather than talk about God in the general sense, talk about Jesus. And the reason we do that isn't to slight the Father or to slight the Holy Spirit, but Jesus said the only way we can know the Father is through him, that he came to reveal the Father. And so if we want to have a relationship with the Father, it has to be through Jesus Christ. Jesus became a man that could understand us. Jesus became a man so that God himself could be seen. No man has seen God and lived the glory of God. Everybody from the Old Testament, the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, and to this day, the only people who have ever seen God have seen him revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. We're told in the New Testament that he's the exact representation of God the Father, that he is the, the, the reflection of God the Father. If God the Father was, was a person, like Jesus is a person, if he looked in the mirror, the reflection he sees would be Jesus. And I think what we have to do, if we want an intimacy with God that so many Christians don't share, it has to start with the person of Jesus Christ. That's why my focus every morning is to be with Jesus. Not just mornings, afternoons, evenings. And, and when we do that, then we're developing an intimacy, um, a passionate relationship that isn't just with some general G God out there somewhere, but God became a man to understand us, to identify with us. But most of all, he did it so that we could see him. We have seen the one and only in all of his glory. I love when Paul writes, when God who is our life appears, that we will also appear with him in glory. And that's why Jesus is always going to be the center of worship 
in heaven. Not to slight the Father in the least, nor slight the Holy Spirit in the least. They all have separate functions. But Jesus is the conduit by which we gain access to the Father. And Nigel, that's why Jesus said uh, in his model for prayer or or when he was um, um, telling his disciples, now up to now you've asked nothing in my name, but now you can ask in my name, in my person, because I've made the way. He is the access that we have to God. When you start spending more time with Jesus... When you tell people about him, don't say God. Talk about Jesus. By the way, you'll offend people when you do, but that's okay. And he'll be right there with you. And he'll have your back. I promise you that's the case. Oops, I didn't know it took that long. We have 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of the program. 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free by dialing 877-630-KSLR, 630-5757. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two. to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. That means we have 30 minutes left on the Monday program. Quick reminder, ladies, sweet summer devotion tonight at 7 o'clock. Vanessa Marvel is the name to pray for. I know she will be nervous, but she will be great. Let's go to our first phone call for the second half from Seguin. Art on line one. Art, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, um, Pastor Ron, I'm... I wonder if I can mention a sin that my my son is currently doing. Would that be okay to figure out what I can do or mention the sins? Yeah, the sin that he's doing. Would it be okay if I mention what it was? I mean, just to ask yeah, you what, what advice I could. Sure. Well, see, the problem is we've raised him in the church for a long time, and now he believes that he is a uh, um, uh, homosexual, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, we're very disturbed by it, and um, we don't know what to do, you know? We're kind of like, uh, we're just kind of lost because we don't know. We don't think God failed us, but we think we failed his parents because he knows us right. But we just don't know how to handle the situation. And, and um, yeah. you know, I already told him that we we can't accept this and that it's not the way to be. And. And I just don't, you know, how we're going to do holiday events and, you know, and how are you even just going to be a family anymore? Art, does he still live in your home? Uh, not anymore. He he kept it a secret. It was a, it was kind of a, a notion, but we never really thought it was serious. And then when he finally graduated and moved out, that's when he showed his apartment and then we just, it was pretty much exposed. Okay. Yeah. Um, Art, why don't you hang up and listen to me and... I can hear the pain in your voice, and believe me, my heart breaks. We have some uh, families who are in similar situations. And the first thing that I want to communicate to you is that the choices our children make, we show them the door. We, we show them the way. Uh, we live our lives for Christ. We try to do it with joy. We try to do it in obedience. We try to set a good example. And, and we want our children to fall in love with the Jesus uh, that we've fallen in love with. But every child, when they leave, and, and many times before they leave the home, they have to make their own choice. Um, I call it sort of like the tree in the middle of the garden. God gave um, Adam and Eve everything. There was one tree that was prohibited. And, and every every young man, every young woman has to... Um, deal with the own, their, their own tree of choice. And um, the, 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 the decision they make is going to be determined by um, how diligent they are in the Word, how close they stay to Jesus. And unfortunately, 
Uh, these kids live in a world that has normalized everything that God says is sin. Isaiah chapter 5 talks about a time in Israel's history, which is prophetic also of the time that we live in, a time where good is called evil and evil is called good. Um, we live in that time where, again, Isaiah 5, where they, they drag their sin behind them through the public streets with, with cords of deceit. In other words, they, they are deceived. And our children are, are being deceived. Um, that's why it's so important that we raise them in a Bible uh, teaching church. We raise them in a Jesus-loving home. Uh, we have a joy in our relationship that, that is attractive to them. Um, when they go out and make their own choices, they, they need to want to know mom and dad's Jesus. And I deal all the time with parents whose kids are making horrible decisions. Now, let me also say this, so as nobody thinks that I'm singling out the sin of homosexuality. We have kids that have, have been raised the right way by parents who love Jesus with all of their heart, and they'll move in with their boyfriends or with their girlfriends. In a heterosexual relationship, it is equally sinful. And whenever a child makes those decisions, the most important thing for you and your wife to do is to take a stand for Jesus. You have to be steadfast. It's going to be really hard. You have to be steadfast in saying, this is something we can't accept. And when I tell people that, Art, and, and you, you get it, so you, this isn't directed at you, but so often, and most often, the wives or the mothers, but, but this is my son or this is my daughter, and I'm going to chase him away. I'm not going to see him again. This is where we've got to trust God. We have to decide, do we love Jesus more than we love our kids? We know that he loves them more than we do, but we've got to decide, do we love him more? And what we do is we take a stand. Um, in my own life, um, one of my sons came and said that he was going to move in with his girlfriend. And we told him that we can't do anything. I remember Paula crying and she said, you know, I want to be a good mother-in-law and I, I want to help him make a house. But, but it can't be a house that's built on a foundation of sin. It has to be a house that Jesus controls. And we simply can't pardon. We can't overlook sin. If we do that, we've chosen between our own flesh and blood and our families. We, we've got to decide, is Jesus more important than family? When Jesus was teaching, surrounded by a huge crowd of people, his father, I'm sorry, his mother, his brothers, his sisters, they came to the conclusion he was out of his mind. So they went to take control of him. That's what the Greek word means. And when they came to the place, they sent word, tell Jesus that his mother and his brother and his sisters are out here. And Jesus, when he got the message, he said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? And then he pointed to the people listening to every word that he was sharing. He said, these who do the will of my Father in heaven, this is my family. And sometimes, Art, we have to make really, really hard choices. So what I would tell my son if if I was in your situation or what I did tell my son when he was thinking about um, moving in with his girlfriend. This is many, many years ago now. I said, you know, we can't do anything that would honor the choices, the bad choices you've made. Uh, I would always tell my son, if I were you, that he's welcome to come to my home on holidays, but not with his male lover. That person is not welcome because that person is a conduit for sin. You're my son. I can't make you believe in Jesus. But I can say this house belongs to Jesus. Now, he'll probably make the choice not to come. But he'll always know he's welcome there. But he's welcome on God's terms. Not yours, not his, on God's terms. And it's really important. It is a heartbreaking thing, Art, and my heart goes out for you, and I will add you and your son and your family to my prayer list as well uh, because I've got a group of, of families with similar situations uh, that I pray for, and I will make sure that your family is being prayed for in the meantime. I'm so sorry for your pain. I'm sorry that your son is making choices. If you stand with and for Jesus, 
Well, Jesus is going to go try to get him. Jesus won't force him, but Jesus is going to try and go get him. Don't let the world convince you that you have to cave. That family is more important. It's not. Jesus is the most important thing. And I have a feeling as I was answering your phone call that the Lord was speaking to a whole bunch of parents. Moms, dads, we cannot allow our children to sin. Can I recommend for you, Art, and for everybody else who's got kids who are returning home, maybe moving back in, maybe just coming home and bringing lovers into your home. Listen to the Bible study idea, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday night before in Second Samuel. Please get that. It's at calvaryessay.com. And you're going to see the disaster David created by not being a dad who stood for righteousness, who stood for Jesus. We don't have to be mean. We can be kind. Let your son know that you love him and that your heart is broken. Tell him you can't imagine heaven without him. But he has to choose Jesus instead of his lust. And if he ever wants to get right with God, that he can always come home to Jesus' house. Hope that helps, Art. Thank you very, very much. Boy, I hate those kinds of things. 340-9585. Here's a question that just came in from our mobile app from Rich. If a person has just come to faith in Christ, what book of the Bible would you recommend for them to read first? Uh, Rich, um, almost everybody in the audience is screaming, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, I always recommend Ephesians first. I recommend Ephesians first because it's a little bit smaller in terms of digesting this huge, glorious Gospel of John. Um, and, and the divine design of Ephesians is, is so easy. The first three chapters are everything that God has done for us. And then the final three chapters uh, is, is how we should respond in the power of the Holy Spirit to what God has done for us. So it just works really, really well. So that's always the one that I recommend first. However, um, the Gospel of John is wonderful. I typically will recommend an unbeliever to read that book. The emphasis is on demonstrating that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. The emphasis is on the miracles uh, of Jesus. John's Gospel includes many more miracles than, than the other Gospel accounts do. Uh, and and uh, probably, Rich, uh, right after Ephesians, I would tell somebody, then open up the Gospel of John and just be amazed. Walk with Jesus. Get in the narrative. Pretend you're right there in the streets of Galilee or in the streets of Nazareth or, or in Jerusalem with Jesus. And it is a thrilling, thrilling thing to do. Let's go to San Antonio now. Talk with Jackie on line one. Jackie, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, good afternoon. I have a quick question for you. Um, <clears throat> I heard you talk earlier about how the devil doesn't can't harm us, um, and that you, you know, but he gave, you know, kind of gave you a migraine on the way, you know, to try to stop, you know, block you from what you were doing. Where does disease come from? Now I know. God is the ultimate healer and the great physician, and I truly believe that he heals everything. But where does the disease come from? Um, Jackie, disease comes... Okay, thank you, Jackie. Uh, disease comes from a decaying world. This is a dying world. Uh, you know, uh, when, when God spoke to Adam uh, and Eve and said, when you eat from the fruit of this forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, up to that point, only good was known, um, surely you will die. And the world began to die. We're told in Romans, the whole earth is, is groaning in, in, in pains like a woman in, in labor. Uh, so our world is sick. And because our world is sick, we're not protected from disease. And by the way, and I'm sure this isn't what you meant, but we, we have no promise that God is going to heal our physical diseases. By his stripes we're healed, we're told in Matthew, we're told by Peter, that, that that's nothing more than being healed of the one disease that's going to kill everybody, the disease of sin. So disease entered the world 
Um, all we have to do is look at the Old Testament and see the diseases of Egypt. God preserved his people from those diseases in the Exodus. But there was disease. There always has been disease because that's what sin does. So sin physically catches us. Um, this week, I think it's this week, it might be the next week on our Sunday studies, Jackie, here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, we're going to be talking about Jesus encountering lepers and we're talking about uh, about the effects of the fall. Um, but certainly one of those effects is, is um, that we don't live um, when God made everything, we were going to live forever. That's the promise to Adam and Eve. They made the choice to rebel against God and death entered the world. Now, death entered slowly at first. People lived to be eight, nine hundred years old. But, but it was shortly uh, after the flood that we see the, the normal lifespan of man dropping into the, the hundred-plus-year range. Uh, and then later, just a general rule, uh, the man's days are numbered at about 70 years. So that, that's, that's where disease came from, Jackie. Let me make one other point so, so that I made sure that I was perfectly clear. Uh, when I said the devil can't harm us physically, the headache that he gave me was, for lack of a better term, in my, in my own mind. Um, we know that Satan can plant thoughts in our mind. We know that he has the power. He's the greatest human psychologist that's ever lived. We know that he can influence our thoughts. We know that he brings these ugly thoughts. That's why we're told by Paul to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. But at the same time, um, uh, he can't do anything more than huff and puff and threaten to blow our house down, but he can't touch us physically without Jesus' express permission. Let's go to Universal City now. Myra Joe, I know this beautiful lady. Myra Joe, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi. I just wanted to say um, that I'm, with, I'm in the car with my mom, and we're listening. Um, she turned it on right about when you were talking to Art. And I just want to say to Art, if you're still listening, um, my, my parents were in the exact same position as you were, and they did take a stand for Jesus, and um, I respect them even more because of that. Um, and don't ever stop praying for your son, because um, God has a plan, and the words that he was raised with will not um, return void. So I'm praying <laughs> for you as well, and I just wanted to say, um, just do like what Pastor, Pastor Ron said, and the Lord will bless you, and um, he's never going to stop chasing your son. Thank you, Myra Joe. You're welcome. I love you, Pastor Ron. <laughs> Thank you. Love you, too. Thanks so very, very much. Uh, Art and anybody else who's gone through this. Uh, I'm getting old, and I can't remember time frames, but I think it was just a couple of weeks ago that Myra Jo uh, did our Sweet Summer Devotion segment on a Monday night. Uh, and Art, you and your wife, can I, can I beg you tonight to go to calvaryessay.com and, and you go to the Sweet Summer Devotions. I think it's, it's special events or something. You'll see Sweet Summer Devotions. And the one where Myra Jo uh, is doing the, the message, um, please listen to it. It'll be the best 35 or 40 minutes of your life. Um, but, but Myra Jo has come out of that lifestyle. Uh, I lived with her mom and dad, who I love dearly. And I'm losing them. They're going to Alaska. But uh, I lived with them through the pain of all of this. And, and um, we dealt with it simply by, by leaning on Jesus and standing with him and standing for him. Uh, and Myra Joe's had a radical, radical transformation, salvation experience. I had the privilege of baptizing her uh, just two Sundays ago now. Um, and uh, um, we're just so thrilled that God always keeps chasing. And Myra Joe, thank you very, very much. Uh, uh, Myra Joe's Sweet Summer Devotion is Monday, July 9th, my producer tells me. Thank you very much for that. And Art, you and your wife, please, please listen. And if you're, you have other children at home and they're not too young, then uh, that would be, be a good one to listen to as well. It will keep you spellbound, I promise. 340-9585. Our next question comes from our mobile app from Caleb. 
Uh, regarding an earlier question today about an angry Jesus-only Christian, what is the biblical model for resolving conflict with another believer? Um, Caleb, the biblical model in Matthew 18 is to go to that person. As far as it depends on you, make peace with all men. But sometimes it's not possible. Um, um, there are conflicts that can't be resolved. That's why we walk away from the discussion and from the argument. And I want to say this again, Caleb, so that everybody is perfectly clear. A Jesus-only Christian, by definition, is not a Christian. They may say they love Jesus, but they don't know him. They've got the wrong Jesus. The same way a Jehovah's Witness has the wrong Jesus, or a Mormon has the wrong Jesus. They say the right things, but they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And in the same way, a Jesus-only Christian is not really a Christian, so please, please understand that and pray for them. But but there's no resolution um, with this type of conflict if somebody will not believe the truth. That's why we tell them the truth, we tell them in love, but when they stop listening... We stop talking. And when they're the angry ones, we know where the source of that anger is. So, Caleb, there's there's no resolution for some of these conflicts. Sometimes we just say goodbye and pray. That's all we can do. Um, if you have a conflict with a real believer and it's not doctrinal, uh, then you go to him. You resolve the matter. Somebody sinned against you. Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile with your brother. If they've done something to you, then go to him as a, as a believer and say, you know what, you, you've hurt my feelings, you, you, you wronged me, you did this, uh, I, I want to reconcile, I want to forgive, but why would you do such a thing? And then sometimes you can win that brother or sister over. But that's the kind of, of um, resolution that, that Jesus talks about. But when it's doctrinal and the doctrine is heresy, then there are just some things that you can't resolve. Um, we just had a caller to the program that said, what is a Jesus-only Christian? Uh, if you weren't listening to the first half of the program, Anonymous, uh, it is somebody who claims that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is Jesus and only Jesus, uh, which is a denial of the doctrine of the Trinity. God is one God, manifest in three personages, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that's clear throughout. So when somebody says, oh no, it's just Jesus, um, they're denying that the Father is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And their answer to that would be, well, no, Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Holy Spirit, uh, and of course that is a heresy. So when we t- were talking today about the Jesus-only Christian in response to a question that we had uh, anonymous. Uh, it is somebody who denies the reality of the Father and the reality and the deity of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So I hope that makes sense. We've got four minutes. Let me see if I have one more question that we can get to. Here's a question from our mobile app from Joe. Does Acts chapter 2 verse 38 teach that we must be baptized in order to be saved? Joe, it doesn't because Acts 2.38, one verse, cannot contradict the rest of Scripture. Ephesians 2.8 is an example. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith. And that, the faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. That's how we get saved. Romans 10.9, confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And over and over and over we're told to believe. What is the work that God wants? To believe in the one he sent, Jesus said. And of course that's to believe in him. So when Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, he's not saying that getting in the water cleanses your sin. Believing in Jesus is what saves us. Now, this is very important. We get baptized because we're saved, not to get saved. Paul said, I haven't baptized any of you. And then he forgot and mentioned a couple of, no, I baptized Gaius, I baptized a couple others. Uh, he said, that I didn't baptize any. If baptism was necessary for salvation, Paul would have been preaching and dunking at the same time. But that's not what he was doing. So no, Acts 2.38 doesn't teach that. I will say that there are 
um, Church of Christ people that believe that. Um, I believe some of them are real Christians. Um, but you can't add any work. If, if we have to get baptized to get saved, the thief on the cross isn't saved. If we have to get baptized in order to be saved, the person that cries out the last minute before they get killed in an accident isn't saved. Um, no, we're saved by grace through faith. And that's all we have to do is believe. Just believe. So, Joe, I hope that answers your question. You know, I once told somebody, I said, you know, when I have a headache, I take an aspirin because I have a headache. I don't take an aspirin to get a headache. And that's the same kind of thing that we do with, with baptism. We get baptized as an obedient response to the new life that we've been given in Jesus Christ. So, Joe, thanks for the question. I appreciate you listening. Let me see. We have two minutes. Jennifer, King Saul had the Holy Spirit, but was rejected by God. I thought if you had the Holy Spirit, you were secure in your faith. Well, in a New Testament dispensation, Jennifer, you're absolutely right. We are safe if we have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. King Saul did not have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon him. He was God's representative as king to the people. But it's not the same as having the Holy Spirit. It was uh, an experience to prophesy for battles. The Old Testament figures had no relationship with the Holy Spirit. They knew nothing of the Holy Spirit like you and I do. Jennifer, I'll save your question for a little bit more detail tomorrow. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Remember, ladies, sweet summer devotions tonight at 7 o'clock. Men's youth Bible studies as well. Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow at 4 on AM 630, The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.